Amen. You, thank you, Mike and team. That was. It's refreshing to sing, even with a mask on. <laughs> There's just a refreshing aspect to it. Anyway, my name's Dave Magoon. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossway Church. I want to thank you for coming. Those of you that are watching at home, welcome. Thank you, guests that are here this morning. We're going to have a baptism after the service today, and it should be a good time um, of celebrating together. But I have a couple of little things just to get out of the way before we look at the Word of God this morning. Um, first of all, those of you that have been giving through the pandemic, thank you for your your consistent giving. The church is being well provided for, and we appreciate it. If you do have an offering, there's an offering basket in the back, and you can just put it in there. We don't pass an offering basket during this time. Um, you give as you feel led, and, and that's uh, all we ask of you. So thank you for your faithfulness in that. Again, today at 11.30, we'll be having the baptism. Therefore, I can't talk too long. Okay, so uh, we'll see what we can do with that. And um, at the end of the service, when Dan comes up to do the benediction, he will give some direction as to what we will be doing until we start the, uh, start the baptism. And last but not least, just a reminder, there are no scheduled life groups uh, for the month of August. We give our life group leaders the month of August off from Zoom. <laughs> so, um, but that doesn't mean that life groups won't do something. So, you know, keep in mind what, what they want to do. Sometimes your life group leaders are very active and like to do things. So you can keep that in mind as well. Enough said. Let's, uh, we are continuing our series on the parables. And uh, we set these way ahead of time, so really we had no rhyme or reason as to why or when or how these things would fall into place. But today, I get the, the joyous pleasure of doing The Rich Man and Lazarus, which is one of the most unpopular parables that you could ever read. Nobody likes this parable. Nobody likes to explain this parable. Why couldn't I have the kingdom of God is like a precious pearl? Okay, that would have been far easier than to do this one. However, there is a message for us in this one, a very important message for us in this one. And sometimes messages are hard to hear, they're hard to listen to, but they're needed. And I think we will get a lot out of this this morning. And I've had, I, I've really enjoyed looking into it more and more as we've gone on. So, what I'd like to do is read the passage first, and then we'll pray. It's in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, and I will read that, and then we'll start with prayer. So hear the word of the Lord. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus 
at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. So, Father, as we look at this parable, as we look at this, your word, we ask that you would give clarity, that you'd give us some understanding, that you would give us some vision for how we can hope to apply this to our lives how we can hope to have the vision to care for others, to tell of others, to warn others, but that it would also warn ourselves. So we ask for your help. I ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So like I said, this is one of the most difficult parables to talk about. It's kind of a little scary story. Uh, It's a different sort of parable. It's not like all the other parables that Jesus talks about. Some people even said this isn't even a parable. It shouldn't be considered one. We consider it a parable. It's a parable. We say it is. But let's put it into some perspective a little bit. This parable was told, first of all, and we got to realize this. This parable is told by the most loving, caring, considerate, sacrificing person that has ever existed. Okay? Let's make sure we remember that when we're reading this. He cared for people, and this was Jesus. He was the one who was crucified. He's he's the one who said, forgive them for they know not what they do when he was dying on the cross. This is how loving and caring and he desired to be with people. His love for people is unsurpassed. And this is the backdrop of this parable, and we want to have that understanding. And it's really his motivation in telling this parable, out of his love, his compassion for people. He wants people to be aware. So Jesus gives us a picture of the good and the bad in this world and in the world to come. So my main point this morning is opportunities abound when it comes to getting right with God, but time is not on your side. Opportunities abound when it comes to getting right with God, but time is not on your side. Isn't that an old Rolling Stones song? Time is not on your side. 
So I have three points here, and they're very simple points. They're points you can remember. They're points that I could remember, so that's why they're simple. We have two lives. First point, two destinations. And a warning before it's too late. Though you spell the two differently in the last one. Okay. All right. So Jesus brings up this parable because he sees a need. Back then, there was a need. Today, there is still a need. And as we look at our parable, we can see that there's a wicked rich man and there is a godly poor man. How do I know that they're wicked and godly? It's because where they end up. Okay, that's not our decision. That's God's decision. Where they end up, that tells us that the poor man was godly, the rich man was wicked. Now, the Pharisees during this time, they saw wealth as being the mark of a good man. You must have done something right in your life. Everything is good. You, you've got it down. That's something good. And this was concerning to Jesus. And this is why earlier in this chapter, in Luke chapter 16, in verse 14, Jesus says, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all things and they ridiculed him. They heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And this is what Jesus said to them. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. This is key here. God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight before God. So the lifestyle of the Pharisees, the desire to be people of wealth, people of means, is an abomination before the God because they put that first. That became a God to them. It was a heart issue. And there still is a heart issue. There's a heart issue today in this day and age in our view of life and in our view of God. It's something that needs to be addressed. Their money, their success was their focus and that's the way it is. So the rich man was very, very rich. Jesus does not give him a name. Somebody tried to give him the Latin name for rich man and called him that. But we're not, Jesus didn't want to give him a name. We're not going to give him a name. He wasn't supposed to have a name. That's good enough for me. Okay. The kingdom of God. Recognition is not the goal of the kingdom of God. So the name being important and Jesus not giving him a name is kind of like a little jab. Jesus is saying, no, we're not going to promote him. We're not going to lift him up. In the world, people want to be known. They want to have this status, and that was what was happening there. Now, the description of this rich man's lifestyle was quite the thing. He had a very nice wardrobe. He had this purple, these purple garments, which were more geared towards royalty. The purple dyes were very expensive and very hard to, to get. So this is the way Jesus described him. He was very, very rich in that way. The white linen was an Egyptian flax, made out of Egyptian flax. Very expensive, very hard to make. This guy had it all, is what Jesus is saying. Very expensive. Think of the most, the, the most expensive designer clothes. This guy had those. Okay, He had everything. He had the expensive Italian shoes, the whole bit. Okay, And he had it. And then it says he feasted sumptuously Every day. Now, there we go. We're talking about food, which is I always like to talk about. But he feasted sumptuously, which cannot be healthy. But he feasted sumptuously every day. 
He wasn't a fast food kind of guy. The Greek word for sumptuously here means joyous living, making glad, splendidly and magnificently doing something. That's what it means. That's how he, he made a big deal out of it. It was a party. Life was a party to him, and that's what he wanted to do, and that's the way he lived his life. That was his focus. It was self-centered. It was self-serving. And a lot of you might be asking, well, you know what? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with having some success? What's wrong with having some money? I've been trying to get that for years, some of you might be thinking. I've been trying to win the lottery all my life. You think this guy's finally arrived. His ship has come in. That's the way a lot of people would look at it. That's the way they'd see it. But let me say this. His wealth isn't his crime. That's not his crime. Having money is not a sin. And this is where we have to make sure we keep this clear here. Being successful is not wrong. But his heart was not toward God, nor was it toward man. That was where the trouble lay. So not only did the rich man have possessions, he also had friends. Because he partied, he had this big party. He had a lot of people in his life. He was a social kind of guy. He would be, he would be very disappointed with the social distancing thing right now. Okay. So now, after that, we see this guy. He has this lavish lifestyle. Now, Jesus is giving a contrast here. And he wants us to see the contrast. It's a total opposite situation. We have Lazarus, the poor man, the beggar. Jesus gives him a name. It's the only parable where Jesus ever, ever gives anyone a name. And he calls him Lazarus. Not necessarily related to the Lazarus whom he raises from the dead later on, but I think that's like a little jab to the Pharisees. Maybe it's a little prophetic jab, but you know what? Lazarus is good. And they didn't like the raising of Lazarus either. They hated Lazarus when he was raised from the dead, which kind of illustrates the whole parable over again. Even though someone's raised from the dead, they won't believe so Jesus gives him a name. Jesus knows his name. He has no money, no recognition, no clothing, no health. I mean, he's really the total opposite of what the rich man is. But he knows his name. Isn't it nice to know? Don't you want Jesus to know your name? That's who you want to have know your name. Lazarus, the name Lazarus means whom God helps. That's what the name Lazarus means. And he is a beggar. The word beggar means one who crouches, one who kind of crouches down, just kind of pleading and asking for something. And he's begging for crumbs. He's begging, basically he's begging for garbage. I took out my garbage the other day. It was not a pleasant experience. You know at a certain time when you're supposed to take out the garbage because it is very unpleasant. And you think about, this guy was hoping he was going to get some of that. Now, this guy lived in the five-star of begging places, you know, the five-star restaurant of begging places. This guy should have lots of good garbage, but he wasn't getting any. He wasn't getting anything. He was hoping that this is a nice house, this is a good place to stay, but he wasn't getting anything. Lazarus was also sick. He was covered with sores. His skin was ulcerated. For the kids out there, he had lots of boo-boos. 
He had tons of boo-boos all over him. Owies. And then the dogs came and licked his sores. Okay, some people would say maybe the dogs were tormenting him. Some people would say maybe the dogs were helping to soothe his discomfort. Either way, that's what the dogs were doing. Disgusting. Okay? All right. So we have two very different lives, two very different hearts. A shocking contrast. Rich and poor, feasting, eating somebody's garbage. Clothed with the best clothing, clothed with sores. Servants to take care of your needs, dogs to lick your sores. Surrounded by companions, surrounded by scavengers. I mean, the contrast is incredible when you think about it. It's hard to be shocked nowadays by things. I don't know if this is shocking to you, but today in this day and age, it's very hard to be shocked by things. So many things are on social media. We start to see things. Even the movies are so realistic and we start to expect to see certain things and we just don't seem shocked by them anymore. This is a shocking thing. There's so many, I mean, we, we see so many things, the social injustice, and some people are very shocked, but some people are not very shocked. Some people are outraged. Some people are just saying, let's just put it aside. We're outraged by injustice, or we just let it go. We see situations where people are poor, and we just say, be well, be fed. The tragedy of the explosion in Lebanon that happened was such a horrendous thing this past week. But it happened in another country. It didn't happen in my neighborhood. And it doesn't shock us. It doesn't grieve us. And I think Jesus was seeing that our sensitivity is lacking. We find ourselves so far removed from these things that we overlook them. We ignore them or we don't even understand them sometimes. But sometimes the need is right on our doorstep. And that's the case it was here. It was right on his doorstep and he didn't see it. The rich man didn't see it. The rich man had no interest in Lazarus. Just seemed to dismiss him. He was a selfish man. And selfishness is not a characteristic of the kingdom of God. He had a heart problem. So we have these two lives, two lives that Jesus wants us to see. He wants us to pay attention. There's two different lives here. And he wants us to see what happens to these two lives. And these two lives, this brings us to my second point, these two lives go to two separate destinations. Verses 23, uh, 22 and 23, it says, The poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up the eyes, his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. It's interesting, in, in 2014 there was a survey done in the United States there was a survey done on who, how many people believed in a heaven and how many people believed in hell. Okay? And what they found was that 72% of Americans that they surveyed believed in heaven. 72%. That's pretty good, I guess. 
These are people that had an interest in religion. Uh, Not necessarily. It does break it down by denomination and things like that. But overall, 58% of Americans did not believe in a hell. 58% did not believe in a hell and in existence or the reality of a hell. It's kind of strange because heaven and hell both come from the same book. And it's both in there and it's both talked about. It's the same source. It's the Bible and they both affirm heaven and hell. Evangelicals, 88% believed in a heaven. 82% believed in a hell. I'm not sure, you know, evangelicals usually take the Bible pretty literally, but Catholics, 85% believe in a heaven. 63% believe in a hell. What I didn't understand was this. Atheists. 5% of the atheists believed in a heaven. And 3% of the atheists believed in a hell. And I'm never going to probably get my mind wrapped around that. But anyway. But when Jesus speaks of heaven, we say yes. What a glorious thing. What's something to look forward to? This is going to be incredible. But when he talks about hell, we say, well, I don't know if I like that. And I think sometimes it's our lack of understanding about that. Jesus spoke more about hell than he talked about heaven. And I think it was because he was concerned about people. He was concerned because it has to do with judgment. It has to do with punishment. It has to do with loss. And Jesus is a person of love. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's concerned about us. So the poor man dies and the rich man dies. Okay? We're all going to die. Let's get that one straight. Okay? We're all going to die. Unless Jesus comes again, we are all going to die. So it's best to prepare for death. Now, yes, you can get a will. Yes, you can buy a cemetery plot. Yes, you should write down all the little passwords in a little book so that your spouse or whoever can find out where in the world everything is. That's important too. Those, all those things are important. But think about it. We all should prepare our souls. That's the most important thing. This life is temporary. This life only lasts so long. The important thing is to decide what is going to happen throughout eternity. We need to prepare our souls. The poor man had no burial. He was homeless. He probably died in the street. And we won't go into any detail. And we could, but not any detail on what they did with bodies that they found on the street. But it was not anything pleasant. Now, the rich man died and he was buried. He had a funeral, probably a nice one, a great eulogy, talking about his great parties, what a friend he was, all the money he spent on them. He had family there. He celebrated his life. They celebrated his life. The world treated him well. But, you know, there's something about death, and I think we need to realize this. When death happens, something spiritual happens. When death happens, it's not just you become worm food, okay? Something spiritual happens 
when you die. So what happens? To Lazarus, he's carried away, and his soul is taken to Abraham's side, which is symbolic of heaven, okay? So that the Jews would understand, they understand Abraham, the significance of that. Being on beside Abraham like that, that showed a sign, uh, the significance of his um, favor and uh, a restful place, a, a care and a love and family sense that you, you get, a position of honor. But something also spiritually happens to the rich man. Rich man's taken to Hades, the netherworld, death, the grave, hell, and he's tormented. He's suffering. There's flame and heat. There's no relief for him. There's no water to soothe him. And the rich man calls out, Father Abraham, could you send me Lazarus to dip his finger in water to give me some relief? And Abraham says, remember what you had during your life? You had good things. Lazarus had bad things. Now Lazarus is comforted and he's consoled and you're in anguish and intense and pain and torment and distress. Lazarus, was Lazarus rewarded for being sick and poor? No. Let's make sure we have that one clear here. He wasn't rewarded because he had such a hard life. Was the rich man punished because he had money? No. He wasn't punished because he had money. It was his actions that revealed his heart. It was his heart towards his possessions, his heart towards his food, his clothes, his friends. It was his lack of heart towards Lazarus. It was his lack of heart towards mankind in general. Abraham tells the rich man that he can't help him. And Abraham says, and besides all this, between you, us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So it was a separation. He was separated from God. It was final. It was unchangeable. And it was very sad. Jesus wants them to know this is a sad thing. Now, you can look at the other aspect of this, and some people may say, you know, because we, we're always into the, you know, we're always for the underdog, the Rocky movies, you know, things like that. We want, we want the underdog to win. So we, we might say, well, the rich man got what he got coming to him. He deserved it. He wasn't very nice. He reaped what he sowed. He was just a nasty guy anyway. He was a waste of skin, Okay. He was a nasty guy. He probably did deserve what he got and things like that. But this is one thing that Jesus wants us to see. That compassion is a part of what's being addressed here. There's an aspect of compassion. He wanted to see, he wanted the rich man to see that compassion should have been shown to the poor man. Did the underdog rise up and all is well? Yeah. But we don't cheer over the torment of the rich man. I don't think that's the moral of the story. 
to see and to show concern for our fellow man is basically what Jesus did. And he wanted the Pharisees to be warned about this. And he wants us to be warned about this as well. Jesus' concern for mankind was so great that he was willing to die for you. That he was willing to die for me. That's the concern and the compassion that he had for us. For the punishment of our sins, your sins and my sins, Jesus showed compassion. He didn't have to. We didn't deserve it, just like the rich man. He did it so that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So that we don't have the same, the same uh, fate as the rich man. But we'd have eternal life. We'd have eternity with him. We would have life in heaven. So we've discussed two lives and we've discussed two destinations. But the moral of this story, I think, could be wrong. I think it's don't wait until it's too late. I think that's the main thing that Jesus wants them to know. It's a warning before it's too late. Verses 27 through 31, it says, and he said, this is the rich man speaking, and he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The rich man has a real reality check here. It's it's just all of a sudden coming upon him that there's nothing that he can do. He sees that his fate has been decided. There's no hope for any change for him. But there begins to be a change in his outlook of how he's starting to see things. His focus is no longer on himself. His attention is towards his brothers, who are probably similar in their behavior, self-centered, self-gratifying, self-positioning, unaware what the future holds. So the rich man really, when it comes right down to it, the rich man starts to become the beggar. And he's begging for something to happen. And he has that request, send Lazarus to my father's house to warn my brothers. Abraham says, no. They have Moses and the prophets. The word of God tells you what you need to know. The word of God tells you everything you need to know. You do not need people rising from the dead and coming in. We don't need a zombie apocalypse to happen to tell you what's going on. The word of God tells you what you need to know. The rich man says, if someone comes back from the dead, boy, they'll listen. Abraham's response, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, the word of God, if they don't believe what the word of God says, then they're not going to believe in somebody coming back to tell them. The word of God is enough to tell the living about God. The word of God is enough to tell the living about life and death. 
So what does the word of God tell us? First of all, it says that we're sinners and we need a savior. That's what the word of God says. We are sinners and we need a savior. That Jesus came and lived and died for your sins and my sins. If you believe and accept him as your savior, if he is the Lord of your life, you will be saved. That's what the word of God says. Romans 10, 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I love that verse. That's an incredible verse. And you'll have a relationship with God. You'll have eternal life. Life is more than what we have on this earth. Now, if you're a Christian... It's very important for you to tell people about this while you're still alive. Because one day you will not be. Tell the rich, tell the poor, tell the healthy, tell the sick. Tell your family, tell your friends. Even tell your enemies. Tell them about what the Lord has done. Tell them what God desires to do. Because once you're gone, it is too late. The rich man paid attention to Lazarus too late. The rich man discovers he is too late to help out his brothers. If you're listening, if you're sitting here breathing today, it's not too late. If you die... It is too late. And this is the the concern that Jesus had and he wanted to express to the people, don't wait because you don't know when it will be too late. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, particularly you should be considering that. But if you're a Christian and say you're wandering and you're just not sure about your faith, Jesus is also saying, don't waste your life. There's something for you to do. There's something very important for you to have and to believe the word of God and to renew your commitment to him. That is what God's desire is in all of this. In closing, I just want to read the main point again because I think this is, this is just summarizes really what Jesus wants us to consider today. The main point is opportunities abound when it comes to getting right with God. But time is not on our side. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, even though as difficult as these things are to hear, as they are to talk about, as they are to even think about, Lord, once again, we look to your word and we see encouragement. We see a way out. We see that there is salvation in no other, and that's in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you were so willing to come to this earth, that you loved us and saw a sinful world and showed compassion and came and gave your life for us. Lord, what a gift. You have given us. So, Lord, I do pray that you would speak to our hearts. 
Those that do not know you, Lord, I pray that you will open up their, their heart to you. Lord, those of us that have possibly just sort of settled back and started to get comfortable, Lord, help us to be stirred by the, by the, the really the emergency that is shown here that we need to share the gospel message. So we thank you, Lord, for our time and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.